Hey, Vince McMahon, it's time for this week's Stick to Wrestling podcast. Oh, no, give me a break. Oh, brother. For the money, two for the show, three to get ready. Now go, go, go. Listen to the Stick to Wrestling podcast. I want to thank Elvis Presley for writing that song about his favorite podcast, Stick to Wrestling, where if you give us 60 minutes, perhaps indeed, we will give you a wicked good and a raw bone podcast. I am your host, John McAdam. Before we get rolling, I want to invite you to join the Stick to Wrestling Facebook group. Fun things happen at the Stick to Wrestling Facebook group. For example... If you listened to last week's show, I changed my Portland uh, Mount Rushmore. I kicked someone off and put someone on in his place. If you want to find out how I did that, just join up. We'll just All you have to do is ask, and you're in. Uh, also, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can follow me at uh, just search John McAdam and follow the guy with the Stick to Wrestling logo as his avatar. Before we get rolling on this week's show, I want to request that you donate to the Stick to Wrestling podcast. We keep this sponsor-free and ad-free. You can PayPal me at Pro Wrestling Pro Wrestling Archives, all one word, at, at PayPal, or it should be at gmail.com. And, hey, if you send me $10, you're paying me $3 an hour to do this podcast. If you donate a million dollars, I don't know what the amount is, but it's a lot more, and I appreciate it. And with that, I want to bring on popular returning guest, Jamie Ward. Jamie, how are you doing? I'm doing great, John. How are you and Lou doing today? Well, I'm doing fantastic, and I want to say this. Usually, I have someone on. Like, I, I wait six months before I have someone do a, uh, a repeat performance here on Stick to Wrestling. But Jamie wanted to talk about this specific program. We are going to discuss the Georgia Championship Wrestling Show that took place on July the 4th, 1982, 40 years ago, almost today. Uh, I was watching the show as it aired. Jamie was too. And what a great promotion that was in 1982. Oh, yeah. Georgia totally captivated me from the time we first got it on cable in um, like April of, of 81 all the way through to the end. Even though there was darker days to come, this might have been the zenith of my fandom of watching Georgia Championship Wrestling. It may have been my zenith, too. I mean, everything was going on. A lot of wrestlers were flying in, wanting to get exposure on WTBS. You know, the future was now. Jimmy, before we get rolling on this card, I want to ask you specifically, 4th of July wrestling, we didn't have it up here. We, our, we didn't have wrestling on major holidays like the territories did. They had shows on Thanksgiving night. They had shows on Christmas night. I mean, what my take is, I, you know what? I don't think I would have gone to a 4th of July show at the Boston Garden. And I know that's kind of shocking to a lot of people. Like, wow, I would miss a show. I was thinking today, would I have missed this specific show? Bob Backlund versus Ric Flair. Wow. I mean, I'm, you know, dream match. And I'm like, there are three days, or at least in 1982... There were three days you wanted to stay off the road. You did not want to be driving. Prom night, New Year's Eve, and 4th of July because of all the drunks. Yep. 
<laughs> you summed it all up right there. You didn't want to be on the roads those days, but the reason we probably didn't have the shows in Philly, New York, or Boston, or even Washington, we are the cradle of liberty. There are the big four cities on the East Coast. All four have their big Fourth of July celebrations, and you don't want to make people have to choose whether you're going to go to your the fireworks down at Penn's Landing in Philadelphia, or I guess the Boston Harbor, they do it up in New York by the Statue of Liberty. You don't have to make that decision. That, that's that probably is a really Vince, good point. That's why Vince Sr. and his uh, cohorts probably never ran uh, something big on the 4th of July. I, I'm sure they did run shows. I didn't go back and look up to see where they were running. But if they did, I guess they probably ran their secondary markets or your high school gyms for those nights. Uh, I mean, they didn't have a show 4th of July 1982. I didn't look at any any other uh, years, but, you know, everyone had the day off, except for the guys who had to travel to Atlanta, obviously. Um, But, yeah, I mean, you know, you have so much going. I mean, I used to go to the Boston Garden shows on Saturday night, and a lot of the time, like, you're giving up, like, some really cool social stuff to go to, to Boston. Like, I wish... They had run Sunday nights like Georgia did. And now we're talking about 4th of July. There's a million things going on. Right. See, I was lucky in that aspect because all the shows were on Prism. I could go out and do whatever I wanted. If I got home by 8, great. If not, they re-aired the shows like at midnight. You know, it's funny. I I could catch the overnight show. And then at one point, they they switched from the Saturday Night Live shows to to the Sunday tape show. And so I could still go do whatever I wanted on Saturday night and just catch it on Sunday. That makes it. Lou and I were talking off the air about Georgia Championship Wrestling. And why is it that they did not replay that show at midnight on Saturday night, especially during baseball season when the Braves almost inevitably cut into Georgia Championship Wrestling or World Championship Wrestling? I mean, I'm sitting there watching the Braves you know, who are going to lose 100 games against the Giants who are going to lose 100 games, and it's the seventh inning, and Dan Dreesen won't get in the batter's box. It drove me nuts. And then later on, we had the um, SEC football on Saturday nights, and every now and then they would cut it down to an hour show. Uh, yeah, yeah, I remember why that. They, I mean, they had the whole, you know, what difference does it make if you're Aaron Georgia Championship Wrestling overnight or leave it to Beaver? Oh, yeah, or some dusty old Western that, you know, no one's watching. Exactly. Or uh, Bill Tush. I think he was... Uh, <laughs> or or uh, Andy Griffith's show. All, all that stuff overnight that no, nobody was watching. Throw the Georgia Championship Wrestling on again. But again, they did the same thing with Jim Crockett when he takes over World yeah. Championship Wrestling. They never did the replays. And that was that would have been a smart thing to do. At least Monday Night Raw at one point was doing replays. On USA. That's right. And they were red hot and doing like nines, which is just insane. But anyway, we we're, this is going to be a really good show. One reason is because we have a lot of audio from the July 3rd, 1982 show well, building up this show. And I would like to hear from, let's hear from Dusty Rhodes on Georgia Championship Wrestling from July 3rd, 1982. 
the American dream himself. Dusty Rhodes has returned to championship wrestling, and welcome back. You know, Guns and they said for five weeks, Dusty Rhodes, they've been around. Morocco been out here talking about it. And a lot of people have been telling Dusty Rhodes, say, you ain't hungry no more. Say, all of a sudden, you ain't hungry. You had it so quick, got it so fast, you ain't been hungry. You ain't got the eye of the tiger. I got myself a new nutritionist, a new physical fitness man, my main man, Kevin Sullivan, taking me from two heavy, two eighty to 245 in a matter of months. I'm ready. I'm going to win the world's heavyweight title. I'm going to win the national title. I'm going to win the tag team title. And I'm going to take Morocco, drag him around the ring like he should be dragged around the ring. Just last week, just last week, right here last week, say, Dusty Rhodes is dead. They left me for dead. Well, daddy, I ain't dead. I ain't dead. The American dream is living proof that you can get it done. Hunger is the word. I, the tiger, is the word. The American dream, Dusty Rhodes, Morocco, Ole Anderson, Rodney Piper, Ric Flair, Bob Backlund, John Studd, Gordon Sully, whoever wants some of it, come and get it, John. Well, you're not going to find me looking for any of it, that's for sure, but if I were... Uh... Mr. Morocco, Mr. Anderson, and some of the others, I'd be thinking twice before I made any further comments about the American dream. He is live, and he is well. Well, you know Kevin Sullivan has made a deal with the devil. If he, if he could have Dusty Rhodes lose 35 pounds in a couple of months. Well, if anybody could, the devil could. <laughs> that jumped right out at me when, uh, when I was watching that, um, and the, the stuff you sent to me. Yeah, I, I, and Dusty, I mean, great promo, man. Full of fire. He's saying, you know, I am, I'm hungry again, Daddy. I'm losing weight. I got Kevin Sullivan. Look out, Morocco. Look out, Anderson. I mean, they, they, he was full of fire, man. That was fantastic. Uh, nobody did interviews like Dusty back then. And now we know where Survivor got this idea for the song. <laughs> there you go. I had to tell you, he said it like, what, two or three times. I'm pretty sure Eye of the Tiger, like, July 3rd, 1982 is very likely the number one song in the country. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about the show a little bit. Um, the first match, and this is something I loved about Georgia Championship Wrestling, okay? Opening match, July 4th, 1982, is the Super Destroyer versus Tom Pritchard. Tom Pritchard, what he... I wish there were more guys in wrestling who had this role. He was on TV. Sometimes he lost, and sometimes he won. He won about 60% of his matches. So when you beat Tom Pritchard in the opener, you're beating someone with credibility. Yeah, and that was his purpose at the time. Um, he'd only been in Georgia maybe a month or, or so around this point. That sounds about right. And it was a good role for him. He was a good wrestler, you know, still young, still learning the business. But, I mean, he fit that role well. And like I said, I wish they were, there were more guys in wrestling in 1982 like Tom Pritchard as opposed to, you know, the guys who always won on TV versus the guys who always lost on TV. And as time went on, he actually increases from that role a little bit. He winds up in a... Uh, what was it? A Russian chain match with Ivan Koloff on television. That's d right. Down the line. Um, but just like you said, he would. He was like a glorified Mike Jackson. I'd give him a run. But you put him in the ring with somebody else. He was winning. And sometimes he'd even beat the main event guy by disqualification. 
Yeah, and that was, you know, you mentioned the chain match with Ivan Koloff. I mean, they brought that back in, in 1988 with Al Perez when he was doing chain matches with Nikita Koloff. You have a chain match on TV where it's an under yeah, an undercard guy, like a mid-card guy against the star, and the star mauls him in the chain match. And, of course, the, the real opponent comes out and breaks it up. I've always thought that was a great ma- way to build up a specialty match. Yeah, it certainly was. And at that time, uh, Georgia was doing everything right. Yeah, they were really on a roll here. I mean, and, and you had the the Super Destroyer with his big finisher, the Superplex, uh, teaming up with both the Assassin and the Mass Superstar. Yeah, this is about the end of uh, Super D's run because he comes in around August of 81 when Superstar goes to Japan and they, they try to push it off that he might be the Superstar at that point. But then he ended up getting a, a great push. He, they team him with Superstar. They win the national tag team titles. Then Superstar goes off to Japan and they slide John Studd into the spot. They actually wind up as the champions to go and do a couple appearances on Mid-South. Yeah, and, you know, Big John Studd obviously was a huge guy, and you put Super Destroyer next to him, and you're like, oh, wow, Super Destroyer is also a really big guy. Yeah, they were a team to be reckoned with, without a doubt. I mean, very impressive looking, just in the ring without even having to do anything. Yeah, absolutely, and one thing I I liked about Georgia is... The way wrestling has been for over the last, more like the last 40 years, is you have guys who wrestle exclusively as a tag team. You have the Rock and Roll Express, you have the British Bulldogs, you had, you know, uh, the Midnight Express, the Killer Bees. Like, you would just have these two guys thrown together, and guess what? They might win the tag team championships, just like Big John Studd and Super Destroyer did. And they had a very successful run. They they absolutely did, and then you took them seriously. All right, now we're going to hear from the from Mr. Wrestling 2 and Tommy Rich, the two top babyfaces in Georgia, and then we're going to hear an ad for the July 4th card. This is from uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling, July 3rd, 1982, and it is for review purposes only. I'm going to uh, bring to the uh, mic side at this time. I'm referring, of course, to Mr. Wrestling Number 2 and Tommy Wildfire Rich. And gentlemen, welcome aboard. Gordon, thank you very much. It's a pleasure being here, needless to say. But you know, we have uh, one thing we are aiming towards, and that's tomorrow night. You know, tomorrow night is the Omni. The Omni tomorrow night is going to have a lot of excitement. Superstar, you and I, we're going to see if you've got the guts or the power you talk about many times. A mental transaction thing with you well let me tell you something you're going to have a mental problem when it's all over with me july it's party time gordon you know dusty was out here a while ago he's fired up two's fired up i've been talking to the strong man ivan puskey and you know what he told me he said you don't have to worry about pig face and you don't have to worry about stan hansen he said you just stand back and let me get some of them so i'm ready ole anderson you better watch out brother but i mean you're gonna get whipped like he's never been whipped before gordon here's a look at it's the Firecracker Holiday Wrestling Spectacular tomorrow night here in Atlanta at the Omni. Match time is 8.30 p.m. Champion versus champion, Ric Flair, NWA World Heavyweight Champion, takes on Bob Backlund, the Worldwide Wrestling Federation Champion, and then World Tag Team Championship. 
Foley Anderson and Stan Hansen face the combination of Tommy Wildfire Rich and Ivan Putski. The National Heavyweight Championship on the line, Paul Orndorff defending against Jimmy Superfly Snooker. And then the superstar takes on Mr. Wrestling 2. In a special challenge match, it will be Don Morocco against the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. The Samoans, managed by Sonny King, take on the fabulous Freebirds, Terry Gordy and Michael Hayes. Big John Studd against Bad Leroy Brown in a Texas death match. Mr. Saido faces Kevin Sullivan. The Super Destroyer takes on Tom Pritchard. Tickets are available at all seats, outlets, and the Omni. We'll see you tomorrow night, 8.30, here in Atlanta at the Omni for the Firecracker Holiday Wrestling Spectacular. All right, Jamie, I've got a lot to say here. One cool thing about Georgia, and I, I don't mean to overpraise it, even though it's hard. They had very diverse baby faces, and Mr. Wrestling 2 and Tommy Rich right there, two very different guys. You've got Tommy Rich, who is still young. I want to say he was 25, 26 at this point, and Mr. Wrestling 2, the, the salty veteran, and then you've got Dusty Rhodes, who's different than both of them. And then you've got the Freebirds, who are completely different than the rest of those guys. I mean, it just it just made so much sense. No, oh, absolutely did. As a matter of fact, right there at the end of that clip, they start the Freebird music, and I got the chills up the spine. <laughs> I mean, same here. I mean, we I, let, let's talk a little bit about the Freebirds. I mean, they had just reunited. They showed the footage from Southeast Championship Wrestling where the Freebirds, excuse me, the Sheep Herders were about to shave Michael Hayes' head. And Terry Gordy, who was a heel feuding with Hayes or had been feuding with Hayes for close to a year, felt like that was going too far and he wouldn't allow it and the Freebirds were, were reunited as baby faces who would have thought that in early 1981 yeah I never thought they were going to get back together again I'm, I was a little sad we didn't get Buddy Jack in this little run but I was happy to get what I could get I'll be honest with you, and I think a lot of people might not like what I'm about to say I'm glad they didn't bring Buddy Roberts back for this, I think I felt like Buddy, it felt like he had retired. I think he did actually retire. And, I mean, Michael and, and Terry, I thought, were the, the real talents of the act. Not that Buddy wasn't a talent, but Buddy stood out to me as a guy. He was great to have around. Supposedly, you know, the three of them loved being together, so that always helps. But Buddy always seemed like the odd man out to me, and especially as a babyface. Yeah, it would have been different. That's why I was kind of looking forward to it. But I wonder, you know, this cage match that they had so they could reunite was Hayes against Gordy in the cage. And it was supposed to be, you know, their final uh, battle. And then after Hayes wins, that's when, I almost said Bushwhackers, uh, <laughs> Sheep Herders hit the ring. And that's when they try to, to shave uh, Hayes' head with Gordy making the save. I wonder if that was kind of a little bit of inspiration for what's about to happen in Texas about six months from then. Ah, uh, you know what? That's actually a really good point that, you know, they, those are similar angles. And it, I'm sure Michael Hayes had a, a big say in what went on, what went on in, in Texas uh, Christmas night. Right. One was a heel turn, one was a face turn, but still kind of along the same manner. Yeah, uh, that, you know, that's an excellent point on your part. Now, Jamie, here we are, a couple of Yankees, watching Georgia Championship Wrestling, loving every minute of it. I mean, tell me, you like, I loved the Southern flavor of it. A lot of people say, oh, you know, Tommy Rich was too Southern, Georgia Championship Wrestling was too Southern. 
Everyone I knew in Nashua, New Hampshire, who was a wrestling fan, loved this show. And we loved Tommy Rich. Because it was totally opposite of what we were accustomed to dealing with, both in real life and watching wrestling. That yeah, That's a good way of putting it. And plus, you know what? To me, it always came across as authentic. Like, this is Tommy Rich from Henderson, Hendersonville, Tennessee. He's being himself. Right. There, there was... There was gimmicks, but there wasn't gimmicks. Yeah, and, you know, people, I've had people for 40 years telling me, you know, Tommy Rich was too Southern for the WWF. I mean, WCW brought him in in 1989, and, I mean, we were both there in Philadelphia. He got booed out of the building, but here, you know, it was kind of a different Tommy Rich seven years later. I mean, I thought I thought he would have gotten over in the WWF. I really, truly believe that. If he'd have been Tommy Rich that was in Memphis, he would have gotten over big time. Yeah, a long time ago. So the, the I don't heel know if, Tommy Rich in Memphis, not the not the baby face. Yeah, I, I was going to say a long time ago, someone told me that Tommy Rich, when he was doing his Memphis thing, he was kind of, what's the word, he was auditioning for heel spots other places, including the WWF, and I've had people say, oh, Tommy Rich, he was too small, he was too Southern, he wouldn't get over as a heel. If you bring in Tommy Rich as a heel with any of the three WWF managers, I'm telling you right now, he would have gotten over. Yeah, he just must not have had the the proper connection to get into the WWF around 85, because I remember, I think it was the Observer, it was one of the other sheets I was reading at the time, said that um, he was going to go to the WWF, and it just never materialized. So I'm guessing he didn't have enough connections to really get in. Yeah, I mean, the WWF was bringing everyone in at that point. I mean, Tommy Rich, it was weird. He was still kind of a big star in 1985 when Crockett took over. And, I mean, you know, one of the first things they did was they got they got rid of Tommy Rich. They got rid of Bob Roop. They got rid of a lot of the Georgia guys. Well, he would have been a little, not that he was as popular as he was, but, you know, him and Dusty together at that point, now you got somebody that could possibly, because he has the national recognition, threaten the dusty spot in popularity. Yeah, I I think in 85, I, I think Tommy was, you know, he wouldn't have done that. I think he would have filled in really well in a, like, Manny Fernandez type, uh, Ron Garvin type push. But, I mean, he I definitely I, could have bled as much as Manny. <laughs> yeah, really. I, I saw an, a, a shoot interview with Tommy Rich. Uh, that was done by RF Video like over 25 years ago, and Tommy just had nothing but contempt for both Dusty and Jim Crockett. So I, I, I don't know if it was like that coming into this or if it was a result of that. Yeah, it probably wasn't as a, a result of that um, because I, I think you've heard the story. Um, I'm taking Tommy Rich and Bobby Eaton back to the Ribbit after one of the shows. I'm guessing it's like 1990. And um, Tommy Rich asked me to stop at a bar and he ran in and he got two six packs of Miller Lite ponies. And between the Civic Center and the Rivet, which is maybe a 20 minute drive, he drank the entire 12 pack and was throwing the bottles at the homeless people as we drove down the street. Ah, oh, those wacky wrestlers. Talking about two <laughs> things I couldn't do, down a six-pack in 20 minutes and whip bottles at homeless people. He, he had no problem doing it. 
Welcome to the wrestling business, everybody. <laughs> I had someone, once again, join the Facebook group. I had someone say, you know, I had uh, Matt Bourne and Jimmy Snuka on my Portland um, uh, Mount Rushmore. And and one of our, our friends at the boards, oh, my God, that's like a Mount Rushmore of scumbags. I'm like, you just don't know these guys. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of guys I wish I had never met and didn't know how they really were. <laughs> That's a good way of Matter looking fact, at it. Pete Letterberg was actually in Philly the last couple of days, and I I met up with Pete, and we got talking about different wrestlers and stuff. And that's exactly where we went into one of our conversations. Like, you know, a lot of the guys that you think are one way are actually just downright scumbags in, in, in another manner. Yeah, and it, it's like that with all forms of entertainment. I think everyone has calmed down significantly over the past 30 or 40 years. But, I mean, you know, we've both seen some stuff. What can I say? Yeah, I'm sure it's not the way it used to be. However, Vince McMahon seems to think it should be the way it used to be. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, give me your sweetheart. I'll give you $3 million. <laughs> uh, all right. Match number two, uh, 4th of July, Kevin Sullivan it defeats Masa Saito in seven minutes. Uh, kind of a surprise result there. Uh, Kevin Sullivan, Jamie, I don't remember how he turned back into a babyface. Do you remember this? Yeah, I want to say it was in late April. Uh, they had like a little three-man trio between him, Ron Bass, who was the national champion, and Buzz Sawyer. Yep. And for some reason, those two turned on Sullivan one day on television. I forget, like maybe he took the pinfall in a match. I forget exactly what the particulars were, but he ended up uh, turning face. And I mean, another guy that wasn't getting the main event push, but Sullivan was always on the winning side. Yeah, and he's the guy who, who thanks to Kevin, Dusty miraculously lost 35 pounds in a matter of months. But anyway, let's get some more audio. Here come the fabulous Freebirds, once again for review purposes only. it took so long to regain these titles but the matter of the fact is Gordon last night was our first shot for the title so hey what can you expect I mean you know it's just like that now don't get me wrong Gordon we like to give credit where credit's due to Samoans they're good team and in the army in the army the Samoans Oh, man, listen to that crowd. They were into Michael Hayes and Terry Gordy. I was really shocked when Michael Hayes, when I learned that Michael Hayes had become a babyface, because he, I mean, Jamie, both you and I watched him in Mid-South in 1980 and then in Georgia in 8081, and to me it was stunning. I uh, He didn't seem like one of those guys who was, his turn was inevitable, like a Roddy Piper. It, it, it seemed like the turn was never going to happen, but you look back, of course it was. He was a perfect baby face. Yeah, what they say, the better the heel, the better the face. In most cases. And I mean, I never saw that coming at the time, but um, I, I joined on a bandwagon real quick. He, he was great. You know, what's interesting about this interview here, it's not Hayes doing the talking, it's Gordy. 
That's a really good point. And I think, you know what, the more I think about it, you want to have Gordy out there in front of the microphone because he's the guy who just turned. He needs to get over as the baby face. Hayes is already over. Right. And they they had won the titles the night before in, in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. This was their first appearance. So they were back about a month and finally won the belts. Yeah, and they and they didn't waste time, unlike the WWF, who I thought wasted time putting the titles on the Strongbows, and they were stale before they even got the, the championship. Yeah, it, exactly. I mean, the Freebirds, they're out there, it's 40 years ago, they're out there with the, the Confederate flag on and everything, and once again, we all loved the Freebirds. We didn't care if they were dressed like that, we didn't care if they were Southern, we liked them, they were cool. Yeah, the the world was a different place at that point, but at that time it was it, it was what it was. And yeah, the Freebirds were cool. And I've met Michael Hayes in real life, and he Michael Hayes was just as cool in person as he was on camera, because his family's actually from Philadelphia. So the one night that um, I was backstage at the Civic Center, I end up talking to his dad and his brother. And they, Michael came to talk to them, and I got to talk to him at the same time. Oh, wow! I, I now Michael would go on TV and talk about how he, you know, didn't have a father growing up, and I, I'm guessing the father was in Philadelphia, and Michael was in Pensacola, and they they just didn't visit very often. Yeah, the story, as I understand it, that it, that's exactly right. The parents split when he was very, very young. She moved to Florida. He stayed in uh, Philadelphia. Yeah, so actually, it's probably about 20 minutes from where I live now. That's usually the opposite of how it goes. The dad split to Florida and the mom <laughs> got stuck with the kids in the Northeast. Well, it's, to that one, it sounds like they, they both took kids. Ah, yeah, good point. Yeah, that's right. You talked about his brother as well. All right. Uh, more audio from the Georgia show, um, July 3rd, 1982. Now we've got the main event, Bob Backlund and Ric Flair. Before we go to the audio, one thing I noticed on the previous audio when they were talking about the ad for the card is they did not bill this as a unification match and are at least on that plug. They just said WWF champion Bob Backlund against NWA champion Ric Flair. You're absolutely right. And a matter of fact, if, if memory serves me correct, we didn't find out until like two weeks before that this match was even going to happen. I'm glad you brought that up because I have most of the previous show uh, I want to say July 28th, 1982, and there was, I didn't have the whole show, but I had some of it, and this show was not mentioned, so I'm kind of, alright, did they just start uh, plugging it the, the the day before, but that's impossible, they couldn't have. No, they, I, I know they plugged it before that, because I remember getting excited over it, because of uh, the MSG card coming up with uh, Snook and Backlund, I knew Snooker wasn't winning the belt, because he was going to face Flair on the 4th of July. And even though I wasn't smart, I was smart enough to know that there was no way Snook is beating him and then wrestling uh, Flair on the 4th of July. So it, they had to publicize it uh, ahead of time. Okay. And I, I, was, I wasn't smart, but I was smart enough to know that Ric Flair and Bob Backlund were going to a non-finish as, as they did. But let's, he, let's hear from... Uh, actually, kind of a magic moment. You have Ric Flair, NWA champion, and Bob Backlund, WWF champion, 
both at the podium with Gordon Soley. Right now, then, it's my pleasure to have with me the NWA World Heavyweight Wrestling Champion, Ric Flair. And in a moment, I hope to have uh, on the other side of this podium the Worldwide Wrestling Federation Champion, Bob Backlund. Interesting uh, note on these two gentlemen. Although Mr. Flair is not, I don't believe, originally a native of Minnesota, you're making your home in Minnesota and went to the University of Minnesota. And Bob Backlund, of course, is from Minnesota. Well, that's right. Something that people all around the wrestling world have been waiting to see is finally going to be determined. Just who is the greatest world champion, Bob Backlund or Rick Flair? Because we're from Minnesota, because they both have great amateur backgrounds, has nothing to do with it. He's the Worldwide Wrestling Federation champion. I'm the NWA heavyweight champion. I say I'm better. He says he's better. In a day or so, we'll find out. Well, obviously, this is a, a matter of paramount importance, I think, to wrestling fans the world over. A confrontation, first time ever, uh, between two men of your caliber, uh, of your championship qualities. And I would, would have to imagine that regardless of your professional experience and background or of Mr. Flair's, that there has to be just a little bit of a butterfly uh, working around inside. Oh, sure. Anytime you get something like this together, it takes a lot of hard work and a lot of determination. And I want to, I know uh, I respect my opponent very, very much. He works very hard at what he does. And he's got the NWA title. I've got the WWF title. And uh, when we clash, I'm going to give it 100%. Uh, uh, I, uh, I like to win. I know he's a competitor. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting into the ring this, with this man. I think there should be only one champion in professional wrestling. It's been decided in a lot of other sports. The Super Bowl, uh, it decides the champion in football, the, the World Series in baseball. In just about every sport, there's only one champion. Uh, and I think this is a great thing to happen in professional wrestling where us two are going to meet in the middle of that ring. Well, it's like he said, the AFL, the NFL, in baseball, they do it. They bring the two best together every year. Well, we're bringing the two best together once and once only. And I think if you search your soul real hard, Bob Backlund, you'll admit to Mr. Soley and to all these people out there that right now you probably know who the real world champion is. Well, that remains to be seen, Gordon. I'm proud of where I'm at. I work hard at what I do. I spend a lot of time in the gym. I, uh, I do a lot, a lot of traveling, and I, I don't like to lose. I like to win. Uh, it takes a lot of determination. I know he's a tough man, but when we get into that ring, I'm going to forget about all that friendship, all of anything. When we in that bell rings, it's going to be out there to win. Well, thank you so very much. I think some extremely heavy comments from uh, both champions, and certainly when these two meet, it has to be an all-time classic confrontation of two of the greatest champions, I think, uh, this nation and this world has ever known. We'll be back. Okay, as Ed Whalen once said, we have a malfunction at the junction. Ric Flair is talking about, you know, okay, we're going to see which one of us is better. And Bob Backlund is talking about there's going to be one world's champion. And then Ric Flair responds with, well, we're just going to wrestle each other. You know what? I didn't even catch that. Yeah, uh, Ric Flair was talking about how, you know, it was just going to be a match to see who was better. Uh, you're going to see the best versus the best once in a lifetime. And Backlund's talking about, yeah, there's going to be one champion. And they're not talking about a unification on the, again, on the, uh, when they're giving the card. So basically, 
Yeah, back on went into business. <laughs> I think Bob just – I bet they just threw him out there. I mean, he, But then I, again, in, in Bob's defense, at, at this point, uh, he's already wrestled Harley four times in unification matches and Bockwinkle once. So he probably just assumed, like you said, uh, obviously he had just arrived because uh, if anybody wants to go watch the, the uh, video of this on YouTube, you see back on um, – the interview starts with back on – or Flair and Gordon, and here comes back on walking up behind him. Yeah. and to, the, to join the interview. So he probably was like just pulled, up, pulled in and walked onto the set. Yeah, and just did with what he thought he was supposed to do. If you want to check out this interview on YouTube, you will see. I, I sometimes can be critical of Ric Flair. Like his suits could have been sometimes like uh, three or four years out of style. That was not the case on July third, nineteen eighty-two. But Bob Backlund, my goodness, he is wearing this outdated three-piece suit. Uh, without a tie, and he's got this collar that's the size of a hang glider. It was ridiculous. Well, that's what he had in the bag that day. <laughs> Have something else Fun. in the bag. <laughs> you burned that thing, that 1977 thing in 1982. Yeah, that or maybe it was Ole Anderson's suit, and he, uh, he showed up without one. They said, you can't go on without a suit. Put this on real quick. Does Ole own a suit? He had that one oh, suit. That's impossible. Yeah, good point. Yeah, every Saturday he had that when in like '83 he had that, that navy blazer that looked like it came straight from Sears and Roebuck. <laughs> well, it probably did. And but he and Backlund probably went sh- suit shopping together. <laughs> but the, Ric Flair wise, this is my favorite Ric Flair, the calm, cool, collective Ric Flair. I'm very calculating. He's almost playing a tweener role here. Yes, he's the heel but he's not the over-the-top heel that you saw in segments with Leroy Brown about a month or so yeah. before this, or or a Dusty Rhodes or a Tommy Rich after, like, an angle. Very much calm, cool, and collective the way the champ should be. The way the champ should be, and I agree. And I just remember watching this, and Ric Flair came across as the coolest guy in the world, and Bob Backlund came across as the uncoolest guy in the world. And, you know, this obviously Bob was beginning, as you know, Jamie, well, he was becoming less and less popular in the Northeast, and you could see why. I mean, that, that interview was terrible. Yeah, this was the end because um, this is when Snooker becomes popular, and that is where the audience starts to, you know, turn. It was. It was the tipping point. For Bob Backlund, I've, I've said this on the show before, by 84, he was getting just booed out of the Boston Garden. I've seen tape of him getting booed out of the Philadelphia Spectrum. Yep, and that's exactly what happened. Nice guy, but the gimmick had run its course. It definitely had. I mean, he was still drawing in 83, or the WWF was still drawing in 83, but I think it was in spite of Mr. Backlund, not because of him. Right, and Bruno was gone by this point. Yep, Bruno was was long gone. His last WWF match was supposed to be October uh, 1981. Obviously, he came out of retirement for a little bit in 85, 86, 87. All right, more audio. audio. Um, For review purposes only, we're going to hear from Ole Anderson, Stan Hansen, and Magnificent Don Morocco. We'll take a moment right out of talk to the World Tag Team Champions. They've been pretty well having things their own way of late. However, uh, there are forces uh, 
coming against you now, including the Polish strongman Ivan Putski that may upend or derail your you train. You know, all week long we worried. We were just scared to death. We were looking, where's Tommy Rich got this guy? Where is he hiding? The Polish strongman Ivan Putski is coming. I listened to you talk about it at the top of the show. I listened to Tommy Rich talk about it. Everybody says when he gets a hold of you, we're going to start getting nervous. Well, Putski, where are you? Still hiding around in Poland, Warsaw, New York? I tell you what, I think maybe Putski's a little scared of Hanson and Anderson. You know, I think Putski's probably not smart enough to be scared of anybody, but let me tell you something. He's excited! The green white shark, the big white shark is excited! He can get excited! I hope he's excited! We're all excited! Everybody wants the excitement in here! We want to be excited! I hope he's hungry! I hope the big white shark's hungry! Here I am! Come back to Little America, white shark! Where are you? Where is it? Ooh, magnificent Morocco going into action. You know, that's what I like about Don Morocco. You know, when he gets out here, he's got something to say. He says it. And uh, whoever the big white shark is, I guess that must be a Dusty Rhodes or somebody like that. Heck, it fit Tommy Rich or uh, this Ivan Putski. But we're all here. The three of us are here. We're just waiting. Where are they? Well, we're going to find out, I'm sure, before the uh, day is out. All right. lot to touch upon here. Jamie, I don't re- I don't remember this probably because I missed the episode. Don Morocco shows up a few months earlier as Doctor. Was it Mister X or Doctor X? They use both. Okay, no wonder I'm confused. He 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 shows up as Mister X, and then like the next couple weeks after that, he becomes Doctor X. And it couldn't have been more obvious who was under that mask. Do you remember how he lost the mask? I do not. If memory serves me right, I didn't look up the results, but I believe there was a match in the Omni between um, Rich and Dr. X, and Dusty stuck his nose in it and ended up taking the mask off. I don't know I think, why. I, I think that's what happened. Um, he, he, did the, he did the same thing in Florida, too. I don't know why Morocco would show up anywhere as anyone but Morocco, because by this point, he was a really big star. Oh, yeah, I, I knew it right away as soon as I saw the body. Yeah, <laughs> he's pretty unmistakable, and he, he's a huge star coming off his WWF run. I have no idea why he tried to be someone else. I don't know exact dates, but he might not have been finished up his mid-Atlantic run, where, if you remember, like, the finals of that tournament was supposed to be Ole and Stan against Wahoo and Morocco. Yep. Morocco winds up turning on on Wahoo. So maybe they just didn't want to show the face in the beginning in Georgia because he hadn't finished up the mid-Atlantic part yet. Um, that's an interesting that's, theory. That's just a guess. And you got to remember, too, that uh, I'm certain people in Virginia and the Carolinas got the WTBS show. Oh, yeah. Uh, quite often on uh, Mike Sepervides and Roman Gomez's podcast, they mention some Georgia guys crossing over into the Mid-Atlantic shows. Oh, definitely. I mean, they. Um, I, I believe at this moment, uh, Oli is booking both territories, and he's almost, uh, I'm not going to say he merged them, but they, they were definitely exchanging talent. Oh, yeah. Big time. All right. Uh, <laughs> great line by Oli Anderson. Where's Ivan Putsky? What's he hiding in Warsaw, New York? <laughs> And what was interesting, like, we have a, a large influx of WWF talent coming into Georgia for the Supercard, 
And it would be a matter of months between before these two promotions were at war, which I think started when the Samoans left without notice for the WWF. Right, which was right around the beginning of uh, 83. They just picked up and and went. But they were also... The, the beginning of the war, because Vince decided he when he took over the company, which is right around this time, isn't it? Yes, it um, is. Where he takes over from Pop. So this is probably... Uh, Pop and Barnett's last co-venture together. Oh, sure. I mean... And, and then they start running... Or they had already been running Ohio and Michigan, but now WWF's starting to run Ohio and Michigan. Yeah, it, the whole thing was, you know... I mean, it was like, you know, the, the one last big party before the breakup. I mean... Uh, and this is almost as if um, Vince is on a spy mission here and he's, he's just going to start picking talent one after another. Oh, that's after, true. After this, because, I mean, Tito Santana comes in right around this time, and he'll be gone in a little bit back to WWF. Morocco will be back to the WWF um, with an, over a year and a half later. you got Piper and Orndorff, and you can just keep name and name and name that's going to be jumping over to the WWF that's getting the exposure on Georgia. Uh, Ivan Koloff, Iron Sheik, Brian Blair, the list goes oh, on yeah. and on. Yep. Hell, even Mr. Wrestling, too. Two. Nikolai Volkov. I mean, there's yeah. so many guys. But anyway, um, yeah, so anyway, let's go to the the next segment where, well, Ole Anderson was talking about Ivan Putsky. Let's go to the next segment. Oh, now we're, now we're getting there. About possibly going after Tommy Wildfire Rich. Well, I'll tell you what, Putsky, you look pretty good. Let's see what you can do when it comes time to wrestle. Rick, you're lucky. You just barely escaped with your life. You're always the one that just barely makes it through. But tomorrow night is going to be July 4th of the Omni, the biggest show Atlanta's ever seen. The Omni. And we're coming down there for you, Rick. And bring that Putsky. Bring the Pony Stormman. We'll send you back to Warsaw. You know, the thing about it, Gordon, this is our country. The South Bronx. What's this guy from Poland in New York doing down here? Tommy boy, you digging your own grave, bringing some damn Yankee in here. This is our country. All these are mine tomorrow night. Now, Omni Jack, we're going to get it. And we're going to send all these Yankees in these turncoats back across the Mason-Dixon line because we are the world tag champions, and we're going to be the one to get it all tomorrow night, 4th of July. Everything's exploding in the Omni. Well, tickets are available at all seats locations at the Omni. May I suggest you get yours now? Here's a complete rundown. Okay, one thing they did before this segment, uh, they had, uh, as you from the previous one, they had you know, Ole and, and Hansen running down Putski, and then Ivan Putski shows up and completely backs down. He and Tommy Rich completely back down uh, Ole Anderson, Stan Hansen, and Ole and Hansen did a great job of, oh my God, look at this guy. He's, he's huge. He's muscular. We're afraid of him. We're getting out of here. Even though the Hanson next to Putski is like Andre the Giant. <laughs> a lot of guys next to Putski is Andre the Giant. But I mean, Ivan really looked good here in terms of like he looked like he'd been hitting the weights and hitting them hard. Oh, yeah. He, he was cut. I was always a Putski guy. So I, you know, popped big time when I actually saw Putski pop out there. I didn't think he was going to um, show up. Really? Uh, no, when I say show up, I mean on the television ahead of time. Oh. Like, like there's no Snooker here. There's no Saito on this show. 
Okay. But I was surprised that they actually um, had Putski. I thought he was just going to be at the arena. You know, I, they they did that a lot. I think they really needed to bring him in to the television studios, you know, so people could show see. Oh, wow, I can go see this guy because I don't think he had ever been on Georgia television before. He'd been on Southwest. He'd been in Florida, obviously WWF, but not Georgia. Yeah, probably not. And I'm going to guess that him and Backlund probably came in together because. Uh, oh, and Saito, because all three end up working the show in Augusta, Georgia later on this day. Uh, back when actually works with Saito in that, on that show. Okay, I did not know that, but it, it makes perfect sense. Look, you know, we're having a taping the, the night before the actual show. So just, you know, have, wrestle Saturday night and get a payday and get another payday on Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Stan Hansen, this is our country. Like, we're, <laughs> we're south of the Mason-Dixon line, so this is our country. I have the feeling this is our country is going to be the name of the of this stick to wrestling. It's an excellent title. <laughs> All right. Now, th- uh, this interview was great. Tommy Rich and Ivan Putzke, uh get in front of the microphone together. Let's see what happens. Two of those men who will be there are here right now. Ivan Putsky, the Foley strongman to my left, Tommy Wildfire Rich to my right. And uh, Mr. Putsky, it looks like you have a capability of restoring order in a hurry. That's right. You know, Tommy Rich told me about these guys. They've been going around bullying everybody around here. Yeah, I said bullying. Well, I'll tell you what, Anderson and your partner, Stan Hansen, you got a man here now. You can come bully me all you want. Because I ain't running from you or your partner. You want a little action? Well, you got some. You're going to have your hands full. Polish star, baby. Yes, the Polish can you get now. The Polish power has arrived. And we're going to do live party That's time. Right. But I'm there. Ole Anderson, Stan Hansen, they're going to get there. The dream's ready. To- it's just a shame he didn't get a chance to sing at that end of that interview. I remember Ivan Putsky in Florida in the 70s, and he would do his going in the ring and singing act, and Gordon Soli was visibly repulsed <laughs> at what Ivan Putsky was doing. So, I mean, maybe they told him, hey, don't upset Gordon this time. Yeah, probably. <laughs> You know, one thing I loved about Georgia Championship Wrestling, they did this in Florida, too. They did not do it in the WWF. They would just bring in a guy to team with Tommy Rich on a, as, as a one-time deal. Like, just someone from another territory. They did it with Ivan Putsky for the 4th of July, and they did it with the Crusher back in 1979. I mean, they would just bring in a veteran, and here he is with Tommy, and he'd be gone just as quickly as he showed up. Yeah, earlier in the year, they did it also with uh, Dick Slater, and they brought him in for a, a quickie team-up when uh, Rich was against Kabuki and Gary Hart. That's right. I remember that. And yeah, I, I missed that. Sometimes, you know, they, they would bring in later in this year, they would bring in uh, Dusty Rhodes to team in with Dick Murdoch against Iron Sheik and, and Nikolai, uh, not Nikolai Volkov and Ivan Koloff. I mean, you would have a guy who would just be in the territory for one taping and you'd get over and that would be it. But that they kept it. Right. Almost as if the NWA were just sending it, get this guy on TV and then move on. Yeah, and like I said, they did not do that with the WWF. You had the same crew of guys. You tune into Georgia in 1982, you did not know who you were going to see. That was another thing that really hooked me to the show, because you didn't know who you were, like you said, you didn't know who you were seeing week to week. Uh, A couple months before that, 
I'm watching, and who comes on the screen? Gino Hernandez. Yes. And they do the interview with uh, Piper says, Gordon, I'll take care of this one. Do you know who this man is? This is Gino Hernandez. This man's a legend. And it, it was magic. It really was. Pi- Roddy Piper and Gino Hernandez on screen together really was something. And Gino seemed to really get over in Georgia, yet he didn't remain. I, I, I've never understood why. Um, I remember him winning the, the Georgia Junior Heavyweight Championship. And for the first time, Gino looks in the camera and says, I am your champion, something he would be doing a lot in 84 and 85. Yeah, I don't remember his uh, his first Georgia run, but you are right. He was just there for that Saturday TV taping and the, the Sunday Omni, and you didn't see him anymore. No, and you know a lot of guys were doing it at this point. You had Buddy Rose and Matt Bourne who came in for one taping. They just got on. You know, hey, we were on TBS one week. Like they would they would literally get on Portland TV and said, hey, you know, we were on national cable last week. Right, and that was the the great thing about TBS. It was a way for the rest of the NWA to get some people out there. I mean, you'd still have Junkyard Dog every now and then, you know, showing up. Yeah, it was a new toy, you know, and I mean, we we know what Cable would eventually do to the wrestling business, both in a positive and a negative light. You know, it became inevitable that there was just one or two national promotions for a long time. There was just one. Exactly. Well, anyway, I'll tell you what, I'm going to wrap up the first part of this. We're going to have Jamie back next week uh, to conclude this show. It's been, uh, we have a lot to talk about here. I knew it was going to be more than 60 minutes. But Jamie, I want to thank you for coming on. I, I can't wait to have you back on next week. My pleasure, and I'll try to make sure I'm here. All right, I, I think you'll make it. I think you'll make it. I have confidence in you. At least somebody does. (laughs) All right. And I want to thank the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network for allowing me this forum. And thank you, Brian. Last, I want to thank Lou Kippelman for the awesome job he does producing Stick to Wrestling every week. And this has been a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. This concludes our podcast day. 